This is episode number 26 of the Abuse Talk podcast with me, Jennifer Gilmore. Welcome to the Abuse Talk podcast. My name is Jennifer Gilmore and I turned my mess into a message. I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and promote that together we are louder. Each fortnight there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector, getting an inside feel for what it's really like in their job role and sharing it with all of you. There's also a chance for you to join in the discussion by leaving a voice recording a message so that we can share together in the discussion. In this episode, I speak to Emma Jenkins from Mosaic Mediation, and that is our very topic of conversation, mediation. What does the word mean? What do mediators do? She answers your questions and also talks about a DISC analysis. Before we get started, I want to say a huge thank you to Rockpool. They're the main sponsors of Hashtag Abuse Talk and they've just rolled out a new ABC of Trauma training course. Now you can find out more about that on their website rockpool.life but it's about trauma-informed educators. The training equips delegates to become the lead trauma educator within their organisation so they can deliver lasting and sustainable change. You can also listen to Sue Penner, who is one of the founders of Rockpool, on previous podcast episodes, and you can check that out at abusetalk.co.uk. I want to say a huge thank you to patrons Susan Rahima and Katrina Hay. They are following my journey on patreon.com forward slash Jen L. Gilmore. They get updates, news, inside information about the app development that is currently in process and you can join them on the hashtag abuse tier. Check out patreon.com forward slash Jen L. Gilmore. Now let's head into that interview because that's what you've been waiting for. Emma Jenkins and myself talking about mediation. Right, hi everyone. Welcome to the next um, Hashtag Abuse Talk interview. And I am here with the lovely Emma Jenkins. And we've known each other for actually a short period of time. Right at the beginning of lockdown, we managed to connect through a small business networking Facebook group that I am admining. (laughs) And do you know what? Her work really resonated with me and we sort of crossed lines and we've um, had conversations and I felt that it was an appropriate thing to do to bring her on the podcast and talk about mediation so welcome Emma ah thank you it's lovely to be on this with you yeah something completely different to what we've sort of been doing and working with together (laughs) with um but um tell us just a bit about your business actually I should have said that you're from Mosaic Mediation yes yeah, so I um, my name's Emma and I, I run Mosaic Mediation. I set it up in 2016. Before that, I worked at the Employment Tribunal and before that, I did a law degree. So all of those things kind of led to me wanting to find a better kind of way of dealing with legal situations, dealing with relationship breakdown, um, 
but that didn't cost a lot of money, didn't uh, take a lot of time, didn't add to the stress of an already stressful situation. And so I found mediation through my degree and then really got interested in it when I was working at the Employment Tribunal, seeing so many cases come forward where um, I just thought there's got to be a better way to resolve this. So many times I'd see um, what the claimant had put in and then the defendant had put in. I think, gosh, if they'd only had a, a conversation that was um, maybe supported by someone else who was neutral, they probably would have resolved this and not had to deal with the, the stress and the cost and the time mm. that goes into a tribunal hearing. And um, so then I trained as a mediator and I set up my business. So now I do, mos uh, sorry, so Mosaic Mediation mainly uh, looks at workplace conflict and uh, small business conflict. But I also, um, in doing mediations, I really wanted to find a way to help people uh, not even get into those situations if possible so I also do conflict resolution coaching and I, I do disc personality assessments and I do training as well so all of those things kind of fall under the umbrella of, of trying to support people so that they don't end up in those situations. Yeah I suppose it's quite a, a bit of a journey and I think you talked um, to me about a dissertation that you wrote. Yeah so I got into family mediation I, I kind of uh, I did family law as um, my options during the, my law degree and employment law, but it was in family law that I first really kind of got my teeth into what mediation was about. And I really got inspired by a different approach rather than fighting on behalf of one person, but um, trying to advocate for both people being heard. So I ended up doing my third year dissertation on family mediation and, and how important I thought it was as uh, something that as a society we support and encourage and kind of try and develop and grow. Mm. And I suppose that's I mean obviously we're talking about domestic abuse and I know that a yeah. lot of people are going to be thinking how can you actually mediate with somebody that is an abusive person and we've got some questions that have been asked but for me it's you know you you can see the positive side of mediation and it's something that obviously I may have overlooked as well because of well I don't think I would have been able to mediate with that person but in the right setting clearly it makes a difference and I'm assuming you got that outcome from doing your dissertation that actually yeah. in mutual sort of partition of relationship it might actually help them come to that um agreement um sort of yeah. conclusion I think I've met I did my dissertation and there were lots of um statistics kind of showing how um how much more positive relationships especially when it came to co-parenting after a separation or divorce um because the the mediation you kind of you you get to the the bones of all of the the tricky bits the the practical elements the finances the mm. um handling of um children's time and all of that kind of thing you kind of do it in a safest space rather than being in one person's house or the other person's house or around children or during the busyness of life you've set time aside so that's quite good since then I've obviously met a lot of people along the way and um, 
when I mentioned that I'm a mediator, there are people who do come back with their experience of, of family mediation. Mm. Some people had a great experience. Other people found it quite difficult. Um, some people were dealing with a partner who, um, an ex-partner who made the situation more difficult for them. So it's one of those situations where I think mediation is um, a great kind of way to try and prevent unnecessary conflict happening in the future, especially when it came to children, especially when it comes to finances. Um, but it's not a one size fits all, especially when you're dealing with situations where there is um, genuine fear for your safety, for your mental well-being. Um, it, it's it's a very one you know it's not a one size fits all it has yeah. to kind of look at the situation um any good mediator will look at a situation and say whether it's appropriate or not hmm. right well let's get on to the questions then because i'm interested to hear your thoughts um, <laughs> and obviously this is really just your opinion and um you know what you think and i think that needs to be thought about for everyone i think we have all to have different job roles and not necessarily we'll, we'll all think the same way or our experiences get in the way of that as well don't they um so somebody's asked and we've just sort of skimmed over it a bit there but can me can mediation work alongside an abusive person then i know we've said you know the whole it doesn't fit everybody you know it's not mm. one size fits all but could it potentially work you know what I, do you think yeah i think there is definitely potential for it to work in some situations um one of the good things about mediation is although you have the, the two people there and you have a mediator who's acting as a neutral person in between and um, those two parties can bring along representation support so it doesn't have to feel like it's you against this one person and you're stuck in a room with them um also there are ways of doing mediation so you don't have to come face to face mm. so there's online mediation there's telephone mediation there's lots of different ways of doing it especially in this current uh, situation that we're in at the moment everything's gone online um, and a lot of things already were um, a lot of family mediation and workplace mediation was already happening online so there is a way to kind of do it so you don't feel in um, in danger mm -hmm. being in the same physical space but also having someone who's there to support you to advocate for you and to represent you I know that for some people there is a feeling of empowerment of being in a situation where they're really addressing issues which need to be resolved but they've got someone fighting their corner but yet it's not in a court um, they are making the decision so they can say no to anything that's put in front of them. And there's, some, there's a kind of, um, there's a bit of power in that of, of mm. going, actually, I'm going to say no to this, not out of spite necessarily, but kind of going, no, I don't think this is fair. So I'm not going to go for it. And also as a mediator, one of the, the key principles of mediation is that, that you can have confidential conversations with a mediator. And they can really help you kind of work on how to um, talk about a situation. And a mediator is there to make sure that the situation is fair between those two parties. If I were to leave a mediation feeling like one person felt like they'd 
given a lot away just to kind of get the day over I would not feel very satisfied with with my role in that day mm. it's very important that a mediator is able to make sure that there's no kind of power play going on mm. okay well um are mediators then abuse and trauma informed um so before a mediation you normally have a conversation with each person who's going to be at the day and um that's a really good opportunity for them in confidence to explain their story so that you are more prepared for the session when you have a mediation so with family mediation not being a family mediator i'm not sure whether they are told by an outside agency beforehand or not but i would suggest that it is important for them to know that kind of detail before the mediation so that they can be making sure that there isn't a power play going on that um, if it looks like certain behaviors are geared towards making the other person feel unsafe or feel um, impacted emotionally or psychologically mm. then they will be able to look out for those cues a lot better if they're aware of needing to most mediators will be kind of keeping an eye on body language and all of that kind of thing anyway but um if there is if it's an, an unusual situation um it's not just a clean cut people have decided to part ways if there is abuse involved if there is um, emotional trauma involved or anything like that um then a mediator probably should be made aware of also i believe um there's an initial meeting that you can uh, go to. I think it's MIAM, so it's like an information and assessment meeting for family mediation. I believe there are certain exclusions um, from, from being compelled to go to that kind of meeting if mm -hmm. there has been domestic abuse. So it's worth kind of checking out, um, checking out those exclusions as well to see whether if you really don't feel like it's going to be a good situation for you to be in mediation to yeah. go through those exclusions and see whether you fall into that or i'm sure um, and you may know a bit more than i do on this but there will be um other agencies who can support you through um a separation with uh, a spouse or, or partner when um, you've been through domestic violence or domestic abuse in any other way yeah i mean i think um it changed a bit i don't want to try and work out when but <laughs> originally when i went into the family court system i didn't have to do any kind of mediation it wasn't no. it was like an optional extra but you'd sort of tick the box kind of thing mm. but you could just go straight to court and then when i went back again it was the actually no it's the other way around you do medi mediation first it's not like you have yeah. a choice in it but um I just got, I was able to give a, a perfectly good excuse as to why I wasn't going to enter into mediation and for obvious reasons, really. Um, yeah. But you, so you can just not turn up and then technically you've not played that part in the mediation. Yeah. So for, even though it maybe doesn't look good on, on my part, I've got a perfectly good reason to explain why I couldn't fulfil mm -hmm. that mediation role. And I think it is... Um, 
a good opportunity so you know most people might actually end up in family court first but if they'd have had the opportunity of the mediation then they could have avoided that altogether so for those relationships that don't have those abuse tendencies or you know it's been a normal separation and you just assume oh we're going to have to go to court to sort this out because let's face it we're not really educated on on that until it happens um, unless we choose it as a career path um so then that option's a bit better isn't it because it's a lot more affordable as well um anyway um we've got another question (laughs) how can we be confident that mediators understand and can recognize the often very subtle manipulation of perpetrators and i suppose that's even you know recognizing the signs and symptoms i know you mentioned a bit about body language yeah so for for mediators you know there is an element of being able to make sure that you can help people negotiate that you can help people communicate but but a key part of mediation as i mentioned is to make sure that there is no power imbalance going on and part of that is understanding the relationship before the mediation so with me doing workplace mediation i will be aware of um the potential for power imbalance if there is a manager and their staff member involved in the mediation so i will be making sure um being aware of that to that um there is a mutual respect going on regardless of roles in a way and um and if i notice that it looks like the manager is starting to play like the, the manager hand of having the control over what happens with the employee's job and roles and responsibilities or any of that kind of thing going on. Then I'll probably take a, a moment to talk to the manager about that because mediation only works if both parties feel like the situation is fair. If they don't feel like it's fair, it, then the mediation is not going to work. And so it's um, most mediators will be very good at noticing body language, noticing tone of voice, noticing um, certain phrasing that's going on, which may be uh, attempting to kind of persuade the other person, um, maybe with a certain threatening tone or, or any of that kind of thing going on. Any good mediator will notice that. But as I mentioned, having an awareness beforehand of um, there being an imbalance in in the roles would be very helpful for a mediator to kind of know beforehand so that they can be aware of it they can be looking out for signs that go beyond people just separating because they mutually decided to yeah no that's great thank you i mean uh, this lady she particularly she runs a perpetrator program and Mm. obviously her team need apparently constant review um, reflection and oversight from psychologic um, from the psychological element and um, basically to manage any kind of potential manipulation so it's quite interesting even to hear that that that's been constantly reviewed and I think for anything and um, there's obviously if you've got a personal interest um, 
it's very different. I've recently just done an interview with um, Anushka Junik and she's a detective constable and she has a passion for what she does and it clearly shows it in her environment, her work and what she does at, um, in her department. Now, if there were more of her <laughs> around the UK, that would benefit, you know, many, many people. Um, yeah. And I often think, you know, we all can't, specialize in a certain area or we don't all have the same passions as well um but yeah I definitely think it is an area of um it's got maybe a personal passion towards this so mediators having this passion to understand um those types of behaviors and even um you know personality disorders or anything like that going into that absolutely yeah and I think most mediators when you go onto their um profiles or their websites um, what you will notice is that most mediators are, um, haven't just trained as a mediator that they will have an interest in certain other areas so um, so for me I um, trained as a mediator before that I did a law degree um, but I'm very very interested in human psychology in um, how relationships kind of develop and change over time what makes that happen um, people's thought processes so um, I did a CBT course, cognitive behavioral um, therapy, not to become a counsellor, so I'm not an accredited counsellor or anything like that, but just to kind of understand the brain a little bit more. And I'm now doing um, an NLP master practitioner course. Again, it's more, it's because um, when you're in a field where it's all about um, understanding human interaction and behavior and communication, you, you kind of get a thirst for knowing more. So for most mediators, you probably notice that they will have done extra study into other things. And so that can be quite a good way to decide. If you're able to decide um, which mediator to go for, there may be some who have, before becoming a mediator, been a, a psychologist or a relationship counsellor or mm. something like that. So um, they, if there is a specialism in that area, they're more likely to pick up on those subtle human behaviors i was just going to say you know do we have a choice really yeah, <laughs> in who we have i suppose I in work obviously you probably do so people i'm assuming will commission you to help their workplace yeah. whereas i assume so i would just unless there was a court unless you had to go through a court appointed mediator i think it might be that the solicitor um if you go to a solicitors they might have a you know a link to a mediator mm. maybe but that again this is just off sense. memory yeah. um but yeah so maybe you can choose if you're the person going for mediation mm. i'm not sure um but if anybody does know feel free to uh, let us know yeah, uh, do. Because... I'd, I'd be interested anyway just to know whether you can because that's one of the things i was looking at before we had our conversation i was trying to look through what the differences were between workplace mediation and family mediation because I'm always mm. interested to kind of see how it it's uh, how it could be different in that way I mean yeah it definitely would because I mean there's I'm sure there's going to be a time where you don't necessarily get on or have that 
feeling with the mediator and I guess I'm trying to relate to it in terms of perhaps counseling you know sometimes yeah. you're just not going to get on with that particular counselor or you know or even in work when you're doing interviews with you know a potential employee you, you just know if you're going to get on and you know if it's yeah. not going to work so I guess it's not just about um and I know they're meant to you know you know you know not be biased or anything like that no, but, no. you know but at the same time you still have you know like emotional feelings towards people don't you so it might you know just not work out with that mediator yeah. anyway the theme mm-hmm. that I see between what you do in you know yeah. work and um obviously the the family mediation is clearly to do with relationships and that's what you really work on isn't it and you have um something called the disc analysis that you've spoken about and you can help people Mm. with themselves in relationships so can you tell us a bit more about that kind of work so because it might just help some of us here (laughs) (laughs) so um a lot of people especially if you've worked in a um a, a commercial background in any way Um, it's possible that you will have come across uh, personality um, analysis and um, different measures that you can have to kind of figure out your personality type or preference or all of that kind of thing. And one of the things that I noticed the most in mediation is that um, there is, especially in workplace mediation, there is a greater level that comes, uh, sorry, a greater level of self-awareness that comes through the mediation process and it is that level of self-awareness that ability to kind of reflect on oh maybe it was because I said it like this not because they were angry at me or or anything like that it that is that self-reflective ability that enables you to move forward in Mm. a conflict situation so I got interested in uh, the different uh, personality profiling tools you can use and I came across this one called DISC um, some people may know it, it as a slightly different version which is insights which is um, where you would look at the different colors red blue yellow and green and um, so DISC is uh, it's literally is D-I-S-C and um, what I love about DISC is that it helps you to understand possibly why the way you are communicating, the what, what you, motivates you um, may be different to someone else and that that might be where friction is happening, but also that the way you are portraying yourself privately and then in publicly may be different. And if, that's, if there is a difference, then it helps you kind of reflect on why is that different, what's happening there. And it also helps you understand Um, how you're likely to behave and communicate in times of stress and change which we've just gone through a lot of that right now (laughs) and it was I found it quite interesting for me so I've done my own profile when I was um, training to deliver disc profiles to other people and um, I thought I was one of those people who in stress and and change were just kind of like all right, just grab this stress and change uh, and run with a new idea and just like tackle it. Um, And then when everything happened with the lockdown, um, what I noticed about myself was that actually all I wanted was to just be with my family. Um, I was uh, messaging my friends, checking on them. Are you okay? 
and then I got my profile back and um, and it makes a lot of sense because my profile said you are likely to want to just um, make sure your relationships feel secure and safe during stress and change and that's exactly what I wanted to do and so rather than being frustrated with myself having these unrealistic expectations of how I should behave according to my own warped idea of what should look like um, I was able to just go okay clearly what I need right now is what I'm doing so I'm going to relax about it and just make sure I don't sit in my feelings for a very long time and then I can get moving again but um, these disc per, um, personality profiles, what they do is they show you your preferences. So what you are likely to do rather than saying you are this right. type of person, you will always be this type of person forever. It says um, at the current time that you've taken this profile, this is likely to be how you communicate. It's likely to be what motivates you and it's likely to be what you kind of run away from. So for example, if so, um, and with the profiles as well, it shows you where you are um, with the D, I, S and C elements. So D is normally dominant, I influential, S steadiness and C um, competence. And there are, people use different kind of words to explain the D, I, S, C, but those are generally what people will talk about. So it will show you where you are kind of with D generally you know how much d you tend to have in your personality and your behaviors how much i how much s how much c um and it talks about that current time so it takes into um consideration the fact that life comes and you will probably behave differently after you know people becoming a parent for the first time it's likely that your profile will be slightly different it's likely that in one type of role where you need to do a lot of um, admin where you need to really like make sure that you're being clear on uh, the detail being correct, that the C level in your personality will be slightly higher than say if you were in a role where you were very, very people facing. Mm. And so it was mainly about like building those and nurturing those relationships. You probably have more I or S in your profile at that point. So, um, but knowing this means that you're much more likely to be able to understand that A, no one's going to be like you, <laughs> which is very helpful to know because we all say everybody is different mm. and it kind of feels like a bit of a throwaway comment. But when it comes to conflict, when it comes to interactions with people, we um, unfortunately naturally forget that and get frustrated or hurt or sad or cross if someone doesn't um, respond the way we expected them to respond. But understanding that naturally I, uh, so for some people, they will naturally just want to get to the end of a storyline. They don't need to hear the backstory. They want to hear the, um, they, they, they just want to get to the end. They want to hear the focal point and then move on. If that person is interacting with someone who loves to share about why I'm talking about this is really important. You can hear my voice softening when I'm talking like this person and the other person will want to quick, 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 quick. You can see where those interactions may go wrong if they're not aware of how the other person is likely to communicate. Because then you can go, it's not about me. And I think that's probably the key to DISC 
is you mm. can kind of take yourself out of the high emotions of being like, why are they trying to hurry me up? I don't know. Is my story boring? Yeah. And actually, it's not about that. It's just that they want to hear the end bit. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose I think, you know, it can all be a bit like that, though, can't we? We sort of put Ooh. our own perception onto things without meaning to and some people might say we're being judgmental but actually it's just that we want a different outcome or we want that outcome faster than others or for whatever reason um yeah. but it is it it is interesting and it's interesting obviously what you was, were saying about lockdown and I don't know about you but um you know we've sort of spoken about this on the podcast a, a few times but for mm. me it has been Oh, I don't know, a really, really weird experience. And yeah. I did behave in the way that I thought I would behave or react um, the way I thought I would react. Um, but I didn't. And then I didn't. So things changed. Mm. And I thought I was just going to be in a rut for the whole thing. Mm. <laughs> I wasn't. Um, obviously, you can tell that. And um, I've made so many different connections and built relationships that it's becoming more of a positive than originally feeling like it was going to be a complete negative. Mm. Um, and it, yeah, I suppose it'd be interesting for me to find out what my profile would be because um, it would be interesting to see. I think for me, mine has changed a lot. So if you met me coming out of that abusive relationship I was a completely different person um, to who I am now and I think perhaps you know that analysis and the things that you do to offer to help that sort of confidence and being who you are kind of speaking up as you mentioned um, can help people with that you know taking those steps forward and having that acceptance over yourself as well Um, So for a lot of um, people that have been through abusive relationships, it's really hard to be happy with ourselves. Um, And so maybe understanding why we feel like that might actually help us, you know, take those steps forward as well. Um, I'm making an assumption a little bit here, but would, would it be accurate to suggest that if someone that you know, like your parent or sibling or, a friend if they were to kind of say no you, you're not this you're this I'm sure that would be nice but do you feel convinced by them saying that my assumption would be They're not just saying it aren't they <laughs> yeah exactly whereas one of the things one of the good things about disc is it it's not me marking an assessment and saying this is your personality profile mm. um at this moment it's um an algorithm that kind of goes this is technically what you're likely to be and it's very very accurate so it I think it can help people who um will not will take anything anyone else says nice about them with a pinch of salt (laughs) it it kind of helps because it's you can say this is objective this is not someone else just trying to make me feel good but telling me lies Mm. just to make me feel good this is um a, a very clever technology built on decades of studies of the human brain and it's very accurate and it says that this is these are my strengths Mm. well how does it work we haven't spoken about that is it a quiz is it what is it how does it work well it's um it's multiple choice and i think when when i did it it took me about seven minutes to complete and uh, then you get your profile then you get this whole report back 
Um, I, it, it varies obviously depending on the different detail for people, but it tends to be around like 15 to 18 pages in the report. And then um, I either offer people to just get the disc report so they get it emailed directly to them and they can go through it in their own time. But I also do um, a combination of the disc report and feedback with me so that I can help them kind of go through it and really unpick um, the different elements that they may have spotted in it. Um, particularly if they're having, um, if they've done it based on a specific experience or a specific relationship difficulty they're going mm -hmm. through, then we can kind of help apply the report to what's going on there and how they can kind of use it to move forward in a positive way. No, that, I mean, it sounds really interesting and it's something like an 18-page report. <laughs> I know, <laughs> it's it, it, it can seem a bit overwhelming at times. What it, what it is, is it's just kind of, it shows you so much detail, um, but it's also very clear. So yeah. very clear on like, this. these are probably what motivates you. This is likely to be the things that you're going to be trying to kind of run away from a little bit in life. Um, so for someone who has a lot of D in their personality profile, it's likely that they'll be motivated by success. So they'll be wanting to win and win in everything. So win in a conversation, win in, um, in work, uh, win in a relationship, and uh, which can sound a little bit um, negative, but actually those are often the people who will help drive others if they have other elements in their personality profile as well. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be one of the, you know, the stereotypical bossy people that yeah. have to mind. It can be those really good drivers and they can help you like reach for the stars. Um, but also they will be uh, motivated by not failing. So in lots of different areas in their life, they will be motivated by not wanting to fail by say for example they got in a car accident it's likely they'll be defensive about what they did because if it seemed that they messed up then that's a failure right i see so it's likely that they're going to get more defensive than someone who maybe has a lot of s in their profile and will probably end up apologizing 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 for whatever happened because they want to make sure the relationship they're having with this other person who they had a car accident with is okay yeah no I can't I can't if I see what you where you're going there I'm I'm an I apologize a lot um, <laughs> even if I don't have anything to apologize for yeah. so it'd be quite interesting well what if how do people you know get in touch with you how do they find out more about you then Emma okay so um I'm on LinkedIn uh Mosaic Mediation has a page on LinkedIn uh, we also, I also have a Facebook page, um, Mosaic Mediation, I think it's Mosaic Mediation, Mediation and Training, I think it's under on Facebook, and um, Instagram and all of those lovely social media networks and Twitter now, which I'm learning, <laughs> I'm learning about Twitter more and more, <laughs> I need to use it more I think, um, but my, the main kind of way to get information really is on my website, so that's www.mosaicmediation.co.uk. And on there you can find um, about mediation um, and workplace mediation, but you can also find out about the um, conflict resolution coaching that I offer to people. Um, 
I do specific training to workplaces on lots of different areas of communication and assertiveness. Um, I've got an online course called the Kindly Speak Up course, which helps people who um, want to be kind in life, but also want people to listen to them and to be able to speak up for themselves. So this course is totally devoted to, to people who want to speak up, but also want to be kind at the same time. Um, so all the details for that are on the website and uh, the details for um, one of my ebooks that I've got out, uh, the Four Pillars of Conflict Prevention as well. And um, I've got lots of different uh, things, that uh, different resources as well that I share on my Facebook group, uh, the Kindly Speak Up community. So people are very, very welcome to join that. And um, I think for me, the key... Um, with doing mediation is that I love being able to take people out of a situation where they feel completely stuck and they don't see a way out of this conflict. Um, and then with the other side of the business with like the coaching and the online course and the books, it's more about, and the Facebook group, it's because I, um, I came into mediation because I saw the impact of conflict on people's mental well-being and their sleep and um that and but doing mediation doing things which help people communicate more effectively i think it just strengthens relationships and um having done workplace mediation where people will be having a conflict with their colleague but it has spilled over to their work uh, sorry to their home life mm. uh, you know i i'm really passionate about trying to find a way to help people not feel scared of, of having really essential conversations which feel difficult and feeling kind of empowered and having the tools to do that yeah no i mean um everybody should have a look and i haven't um i didn't even know about your ebook so <laughs> <laughs> that's something on my to-do list now but <laughs> you know you can definitely see um you know your passion and mm. Um, I've said this before in other interviews that when there's somebody there with a passion, it makes, it just makes it completely different and easy mm. to work with. And, you know, to sort of, it comes across naturally, do you know what I mean? And it's not forced. Mm. And for me, we need passionate people in work environments, in yes. sectors to be able to communicate effectively and to be able to have these conversations. Um, for me obviously this interview and doing this with you I, I told you it is a link to domestic abuse and yeah. even though you don't have that that direct link and it we we sort of covered a bit of family mediation you weren't worried to have that conversation and to talk about it and to look at it and mm -hmm. I know personally that you'll have gone away and had a look and researched a bit and you know yeah. just <laughs> that, you know kind of side of it and that just shows the you know sort of importance of having that passion to mm. discover and learn more so I want to say a huge thank you for agreeing to do this because you didn't really know what you were running into and, <laughs> and everybody that have asked questions have you know you know obviously coming from a real personal point of view and having those legitimate questions as well you know sometimes people are going to have those bad experiences like you've said and yeah. some, some of people are going to have amazing experiences as well through it and mm -hmm. it bringing closure and, and whatnot so thank you so much emma and for ease of everything i'll put 
put all your details in the description um so you can just head over there and click through to emma's website and um, her social media channels so do check that out and she's new to twitter so yes. we will be heading over to twitter now <laughs> and having our weekly chat so when this goes live um on a wednesday evening you can head over now and we'll be talking more about mediation over on our twitter chat so emma i might challenge you to join in yes i'll need to join in i need to join in I'll, i will i will challenge my i'll take your challenge and i will do it i'll join in i'm not scared of twitter i just don't know what i'm doing oh well i mean i'm a bit of a twitter fanatic so <laughs> I'm follow your lead well thank you again emma it's been lovely to speak to you and find out more about everything that you do <laughs> oh you too thank you for inviting me on it's been a pleasure The next episode of the podcast is out on the 17th of September. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or more. We are also on Access Northwest Radio Station every Wednesday from 8pm, Saturdays from 2pm and for those early risers, Mondays at 5am in the morning. And to find out more about hashtag abuse talk and everything that we do, our Twitter chat, our forum, this very podcast visit www.abusetalk.co.uk. You have been listening to me, Jennifer Gilmore, author of Isolation Junction and Clipped Wings. Both can be found on Amazon or at jennifergilmore.com. Mm-hmm.